Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Merry Christmas. I don't know if, um, Everyone listening has had a great morning. I really wish you did. Um, We've had, obviously, having children, being up very early because people want to open presents, and then having drama, putting the presents together. (laughs) We're talking broken fingers. Uh, So mine was very eventful. Uh, Today, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, We should glorify him. Uh, He came into our world uh, humble and meek, the same way he exited. So on behalf of Red State, Merry Christmas to everyone. And you know, you don't have to be Christian to celebrate Christmas. Uh, It was brought to my attention, Dennis Prager had had a really good uh, say on that, and I have to agree. Christmas, obviously, is something American. You know, and it was never about trees and ornaments. Outside of our country, we created that. It was always about giving gifts of love, right? That was the message, that we're glorifying him and we are providing gifts. And just like the three wise men gave gifts, we give gifts to better someone, to help someone, to aid them, or to make them happy and adore them. This is why we give gifts, right? You buy someone something because you want to put a smile on their face. You know, obviously there's people that think they just buy something because they have to. But that's the general idea. <clears throat> so it's really cold up here where I am. Uh, we have a white Christmas. Hopefully other people do too. I don't expect the people themselves to, but hey. But anyway, uh, as I was saying, he, he made some really good points. And I was thinking... Why are people offended to say Merry Christmas? You know, I kind of took a shot at Starbucks a couple days ago on my show, uh, you know, who were, it's happy holidays and it's a season's greetings and we're only going to do red cups, nothing that reminds you of Christmas because we want to be inclusive. And I was thinking, you know, he made sense in what he said, but I've said the same thing many times, which is, this is an American thing. We created Christmas trees. We created Deck the Halls. You know, we have all that classic Bing Crosby, Dean Martin music going. Silver bells, the decorations, the flamboyance of glitz and glitter during that time of joy and prosperity. And and the only time of the year that you can be as broke as you want to be and you still found some joy in it. Um, Christmas, obviously, is a Christian, Judeo-Christian holiday. We have been founded on Judeo-Christian, you know, uh, that's how our country was founded. 
based on that. Kind of like if you go to the Middle East, um, you will find Islam foundations. And if you go to, um, you know, Italy, it'll be on Roman Catholic foundations. You know, every country has their identity and it's okay to be individual. It's okay to feel good about being different and having that aspect. Christmas is a culture for us. Um, during this time of year, we exit the end of, you know, our calendar year with, uh, gifts and glitter and angels and sparkling snowflakes. And that's what makes us American. And, we created that. That's an American thing. So anyone that isn't Christian still celebrates Christmas, but for the purpose of what it represents, which is love and giving without expecting to get something in return, uh, to put a smile on somebody's face. That's the whole point of Christmas uh, for those that don't, you know, subscribe to the religious aspect of it, which is amazing. The services yesterday and today were amazing for me as a Christian. So on that note, on that note, I thought I'd like to draw everyone's attention to the great uh, Christmas presents our president is cooking up in the White House. As I made mention yesterday, amazing Things, either they be for the good or for the worse of our country, have all happened over Christmas. Over the period of time where the Senate and Congress are gone, the most nefarious action against our country, which was implementing and destroying our currency and making it worth nothing but a promissory note, was done in 1913 on Christmas Eve when Congress was gone. It was just, it just happened. That suddenly the dollar you had didn't represent its weight in silver. It was no longer to be a silver dollar. It was to be a promissory note that was worthless. It was just an IOU. That should speak volumes, considering that our president is at the White House working, while those that we elect to work for us are not. You know, they mocked him when he uh, sent out a tweet saying, oh, I'm all alone. Well, you know, the Senate could be here and we could be working together and doing things, you know. But then he tweeted out a picture of working with people in regards to North Korea, which I found incredible. One, because, wow, North Korea, we're talking about that now. And two, who are those two people in the picture? Like, I have been bashing my mind around to figure out who that woman and who that man is. Because our president talks to us through his tweets. It's the first presidency we have where we have direct access, unfiltered access, to our president and his thoughts. So it's pretty incredible. I know how you guys see it, but... I've got a president in the White House during Christmas, and, you know, the last picture he tweeted out uh, the Friday before was a stack of executive orders or legislation that he was signing. And also, let's um, just uh, remind people that um, 
we were discussing yesterday on my show, I was discussing, because uh, I couldn't get the phone lines working, um, that we have, how can I put this? We see that there's a subpoena out there for some company that Politico wrongfully um, alluded, and so did the rest of the mainstream media to divert attention, said that that um, subpoena that's being contested is connected to the Mueller investigation, which is false. And many people will say, well, you know, how do you say that since nobody knows? And it's like, because there's other documents you can look to just because you don't have that one document, there's paper trail before it. So uh, first thing I did was call them out and say that's bad reporting, which is true. It's just the narrative. You know, we want to perpetuate chaos. We want to perpetuate secrecy, right? So here's the thing. Like I said yesterday, what blew my mind was that it was rejected by a three-panel judge you know, a three-judge panel, uh, D.C. district, it was rejected, and that they have to abide. But for some reason, with no legal avenue, with no ability to, they appealed it to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Just like my example where I filed a criminal complaint— I couldn't send that criminal complaint to the Department of Justice, to Attorney General at that time, Jeff Sessions, or the IG, Horowitz. I couldn't send it to him if I haven't exhausted the avenues available to me, right? So I went to my local court. They told me, nope. I went to another. I tried to, um, you know, appeal to the federal to make the district court. Nope. I couldn't find a prosecutor. I went to my U.S. attorney, and, you know, then you're done, right? They're, They're my avenues. They're expended. So now I go to the head of the line. Well, you can't just send something to the chief justice and expect him to answer you. That's not the way things work. But incredibly, not only did they send it to the chief justice of the Supreme Court, but he responded to it on Sunday and said, oh, I'm staying on it. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. You're going to have to do it. And I'm thinking, okay, you didn't let them slide. You made them adhere to the subpoena fair enough but why did you answer your office should not have accepted that appeal that's not the way things work unless unless we have something greater that we don't understand i mean we all know that this is related to uranium one We all know that. And if you go to ToriSays.com, there's an article in there where I expose the woman that was at the Department of Energy that then moved to the Department of Treasury who pretty much saw the deal of Uranium One settle and then was general counsel to the Treasury. And here's why she's important, this Priya woman, why she's important. So the mid-year exam that Peter Strzok was on, right? was examining the whole thing of her having an email server, Hillary Clinton, right? Right? That was the whole MYE. That was the whole thing. Personal email, didn't comply by law by having it, possibly exchanged confidential and secret information, uh, you know, a threat to our national security, etc. So why is Peter Strzok, as you'll see in my article, sending information 
about the MYE investigation to this woman at the Department of Treasury. What does the Treasury have to do with did she have a server? Did she provide all the emails? Did she do it correctly? Did she break the law? Did she do it intentionally? The, you know, those are the, the narratives that they're telling us that it wasn't intentional. And, you know, Barack Obama was sending her an email on his own server. And it's kind of the norm, even though it's illegal. So we're good. But the question is, why did Peter Strzok send this woman, this woman who saw the Uranium One deal through, all the way through Treasury, this information if it had nothing to do with what she has to do. It was not in her scope. The Treasury had nothing to do with the fact that Hillary had a server in her toilet, in her basement, run by someone who had no clearance, someone who was on Reddit trying to figure out how to delete things and alter things. Treasury has nothing to do with that. So why are you sending it? These are things we should be asking. These are things that these oversight committees should be asking. They should call this woman who is now a civilian and working for a law firm who, oh, and by the way, by the way, is now part of the legal counsel in regards to Uranium One. Her law firm is involved in the counsel for Uranium One. I mean, you can't even make this stuff up. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Why did Peter Strzok send her information, classified information, updates, and I have the documentation on the article. You can see it. A link so that you can pull it off my Dropbox and take a look at it. That he was sending her a, an official letterhead with all these attachments, with information on their investigation about the server. Why would he be sending that to the Treasury? And speaking of Treasury, you know, they're coming into the news and we've been talking about this on my show for at least a couple weeks, right? Money, 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 right? And it just so happens that the person that was in charge of money is now going to be coming into the White House. It's all coming together. All coming together. And our president is working really hard right now. So everyone should just have to kind of think of what's to come. Uh Yesterday, someone who listened to my show sent me a message and said, did you see this? I know. And I was like, yeah, I think I saw it somewhere. It was about um, on the 23rd where it was announced that um, Steve Stephen Nuchin um, had convened with major CEOs of the six largest banks. And it's a... Uh, an announcement from the Office of Public Affairs uh, to all banks. The banks all conferred ample liquidity is available for lending to consumer and business markets. So he sat and spoke, and I think I mentioned it. I didn't see the release. I just knew about it from the access of information I have. You know, so we're talking Friday. They did this, right? It's, it's pretty incredible if you think about it that um, they discuss this. And, and let me read you a quote from it that's alarming. So I just wanted to tell you. It was Bank of America, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, of course. 
JP Morgan, um, of Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo. They said that they have ample liquidity, um, to lend to people, confirmed that they have not experienced any clearance on margin issues. Okay. And it says that he will convene a call with the president's working group on financial markets, which he chairs. And then the quote, we continue to see strong economic growth in the U.S. economy with robust activity from consumers and businesses. With the government shutdown, Treasury will have, um, will have critical employees to maintain its core operations at fiscal services, IRS, and other critical functions within the department. So basically what we have is, is that our Treasury Department has put the pedal to the metal – has begun their work, I would say their heads up. Their heads up. Because if one thing has been proven, obviously we can see we have a very accessible president in regards to information. He circumvents the biased filters and comes straight to you and tells you what he wants to say. And what he says is, we're doing this. Or he instigates and and, and picks for, you know, a response. And we've seen him courting the idea of auditing the Fed for a couple months, reinforcing that in November, reinforcing it in December, and, you know, lo and behold, the Fed says, take that whip. Well, that whip's going to come back because from what we're seeing, from the developments that we're seeing, everything coming together all makes sense. It, you know how when you sit down and you watch a movie and, you know, the plot is unfolding and then, you know, halfway into the movie, you're like, oh, that happened in the beginning. Oh, and then that happened. So totally makes sense. This is what's happening. And, you know, halfway through the movie, you figured out what's going on, kind of like you wrote it because you've been paying attention. You've been seeing what's going on so you can predict it. And, you know, it's times like that, you know, in action films or whatever that, you know, you could pretty much figure out what the ending is going to be because of something that happened in the beginning or somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like that. If you pay attention to what he's been doing, you know, 2017 was pretty quiet. He wasn't too loud. He did most of his work in 2017. You know, he ensured that prosecuting for Uranium One prosecuting for other things from previous government officials doing all that he did it under seal the Trump administration requested the court to seal the documents it wasn't the other way around it was not and people need to realize why would he seal documents when he can parade Hillary Clinton around for the criminal she is because of the media. Because then they drive the narrative themselves. And they all come together. I mean, you've seen the memes. You've seen the photo um, collages that people have done. We all know the new word for the next couple of weeks is chaos. It seems as if they all use the same article and just reword it. You know, kind of like these spin-off media companies that report. But they're really just rewording. So they're not really looking for the story they're not asking for the story they're waiting for someone else to report it and then they just reword it so all these clowns are rewording things and putting it in front of you but using the same keyword chaos 
you know, kind of like how they were using the word, the words, the walls are closing in, the walls are closing in. They use that term for how long? Like a year? Walls are closing in on Trump. Walls are closing in on Trump. It's like, what? They're constantly perpetuating. But our president, keep in mind, is still working diligently. And I don't see how none of them right now, well, no, I can't fathom that they are. I'm pretty sure all of them right now are not having a good Christmas because they know that he's there working. He's not vacationing. He's not relaxing. He is getting things done. He is getting things done while the government is dark. We've got 10 days of darkness, 10. And on the 11th day, the light goes on with the new year. And, you know, I can't help but feel that, you know, it was the 24th of December, 1913, when this happened, uh, you know, with the Federal Reserve. And then right after New Year's, it was the first official, I would guess, Black Tuesday for that new year. When the light was on, when the markets were up, when people were back to work. And I wonder what it's going to be like for us. Because the amount of work he's doing, and in today's show, giving me a very well-deserved hiatus from cooking because I'm having lots of friends and, um, you know, coming over to my home to eat and drink. Um, So this is, doing this show is exciting because as I speak to you, I also process, right, this information that I have in front of me. And we will analyze this executive order that everyone keeps talking about. And a lot of people are like, yeah, tribunals, boom. And I was like, but wait a minute. You need to look at that same executive order that was amended by Obama first in 2016. In September of 2016, he amended it too. And then see the additional changes the president made. So I will break down the legalese so that you understand why this, what this executive order is and how important it is. But the most important thing is it was drafted in March, but going into effect January. Why didn't he put it in effect in March? Why did he wait for January? And how does this change the face of law enforcement? Because see, law enforcement changes with this. It's not just military tribunals, right? It also changes the face of law enforcement. And what that really means. So we'll get into that uh, as the show continues. I'm hoping, and I will battle it out during my one-hour break, right, to open up the phone lines. Because if anyone's out there listening live, I want to hear from you. I want us to talk. I want you to tell me what you think is going on. And, you know, um, you might have excellent information. Because like I said, we are on the president's team. We are the ones looking into the truth and the facts. And it's not just me who's behind this microphone. It's you on the other end listening to. He needs us to succeed. And like my example that I always go back to, 10 people, khakis, same same outfit, same ideologies, same, you know, everything. You give them a problem, they'll maybe come up with one solution and they'll take forever. But if you have 10 people, all different walks of life, dress differently, think differently, pray differently, and you give them a problem, they'll give you a million solutions within a minute. And this is why I circle back to the fact that he's a genius. One, 
He doesn't tell the enemy what he does. And the enemy, unfortunately for us, is not only abroad, but here at home. So he's not telling them. And two, he's not even employing their people. He's employing you and I to get it done because he listens he listens to every single one of us every person on twitter that tweets something every facebook post every radio show every blog vlog out there he listens because to be successful the way he is he understood that not everyone with a title can provide good information It's that guy in the back of the room that thinks differently that will give you that innovative solution or find that missing piece to your puzzle. He's a genius. So he had a plan when he came in. He implemented that plan quietly in 2017. In 2018, he started hinting. He allowed press to discover things. He allowed people to see unsealed, you know, um, discussions or comments on a sealed case. He allowed that to happen. You know, obviously there's been a lot of hiccups too. It's not always this, you know, 40 chess. Because we can never underestimate the enemy, especially when the enemy is in your house. So he's had a lot of hiccups. He thought one person was like this, turned out to be like this, made do with what he had until it was time to say, we're done. And we've seen that happen. And obviously the media is eating it up. Chaos. Everyone's leaving. Oh, and when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you what I think. I may get a bit of flack, but before we start analyzing these executive orders, I'm going to tell you. Something that I think is starting to make sense. I'll see you guys in a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it. But we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone. And call right now. 855 700 2978. 855 700 2978. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back, everyone. Okay. So I was leaving with the, with the thought here um, where I was telling you about process, where I was telling you, you might have thought someone was going one way, but they were the other. And I've constantly said that history depicts our future. History can tell you what will come and what will happen because it's um, onerous. It's circular. You know, everything comes around full circle. We've heard that full circle of life, full circle, everything. And where I'm going with this is. So, uh, like I've said, Bush 41 was a three-term president, right? We know that Ronald Reagan, a couple months in, was told to zip it. And Bush was running the show, basically. I've demonstrated that by uh, speaking about his history uh, with William Barr and what they were involved in, and at that time, Governor Clinton. But where I'm going with it is when he was in his second term as vice president, his chief of staff created a PAC, right? A PAC. And this was at the beginning of uh, Bush 41's second term as vice president to Reagan. So he created this PAC separate, supposedly to perpetuate the agenda of the Reagan administration, but it had nothing to do with it. And that's the PAC he used to run. Now, just a thought here. When General Kelly was announced to leave, everyone was like, Nick Ayers is going to get it. And I literally told everyone that I knew, you watch Nick Ayers resign and leave too. And lo and behold, that happened. Because one thing I noticed is, first of all, a few months into the presidency, Nick Ayers, who who was, still is, and leaving, the chief of staff for the vice president, created a PAC. And just like during Bush 41's time, two years into the second term of Reagan, his chief of staff resigned and left. Just saying. 
So it makes a curious case for our vice president. I can tell you something that a lot of people don't know. Um, And like I said, it's not always 4D chess because he's only human. And we're talking about a mafia so well-networked. It's insane. But just food for thought, in 2017, the vice president made an unexpected trip without asking the president in October 2017. You know, your vice president doesn't go anywhere without telling you. And I thought I'd make mention of that. And just have that sitting in the back of your mind when you're taking all this in, just so that you realize just how large this issue is. I mean, I've seen people around, you know, talking about these envelopes at the funeral. (laughs) The funniest one, though, is when Hillary Clinton got hers in her little program at the funeral and she was reading it and Jimmy Carter (laughs) was like right next to her, frantically looking through his program for a card too, but he didn't have one. I found that hilarious. But what I didn't find hilarious is that it was in the vice president's program too. Um, You know, and that's not to say that you know, our president doesn't know things or that, you know, they may be batting for the same team. We don't know. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm a person that's not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you how I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I am telling you to think. That's what we should be doing is thinking. What we should be doing is grasping onto our rights as citizens and applying that correctly. And that's with knowledge because knowledge is power. We know this. But when we vote, how are we supposed to vote correctly if we do not have knowledge? How are we supposed to protest correctly if we do not have knowledge? This is key. So this was just a tidbit, just to have it sitting in the back there, not to put any ideas in, but just have it as a reference when you um, sit back and take a look at the grander scale of things, I would say. Uh, It's great to have this um, wide view. As Plato would say, it's it's, it's, it's easy for someone to be narrow and in depth. But it's very difficult for one to have a broad view with depth, with depth, not depth, <laughs> depth. So um, keep that in mind. Now, as we know, our president is busy, and as I promised on Christmas Day, I will analyze for you this executive order that everyone's talking about about military tribunals. But before I get into it, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Barack Obama, on September 16th, 2016, made amendments to the same executive order that President Trump did. And, you know, this executive order that um, President Trump amended was Executive Order uh, 13825, right? The, you know, that was made, you know, to amend the manual for courts marshals, right? And President Obama issued Executive Order 13740 on September 16, 2016, to amend again the manual of courts-martial. just so happens that everything that Obama kind of changed, so did the president, by omitting words and adding words which uh, give it a different tone. You'll be surprised that the parts that Obama was changing was about crimes and investigations. 
but also crimes against children. And it seemed that the changes that he made for child sexual offenses um, was, I would say, vague. Because it says at some point, and I'll read it to you, which um, shocked me. And I was like, how did this fly under everybody's radar? Because when I saw that right before the elections, I was like, geez. So listen to this. Child sexual offenses. It is a defense to a prosecution for Article 120B, Section B, sexual assault of a child in Article 120B, Section C, sexual abuse of a child, that at the time of the offense, the accused reasonably believed that the child had attained the age of 16 years old. If the child had in fact attained at least the age of 12. What? What? So what you're saying is, is that if a man is being tried and prosecuted for sexually assaulting a child, if he can convince you that he thought the child was 16 at least, and the child is at least 12 years old, Coupled with that, right? So he thought the child was 16 and the child is actually 12. Then, you know, this is actually a good defense. And the accused must prove this defense by preponderance of the evidence. So what? And then, you know, when I had read that in September, I was thinking, all right, stop. This is like Joe Biden telling girls, oh, are you like, are you 16? And I'm thinking, what? How many videos have you guys seen of Joe Biden saying that to little kids? No dating till you're 30 or blah, blah, blah. And all perverted. I have an article in draft with just a long list of just putting it out there. Cause I'm waiting for him to drop his name to run and he will be annihilated if he does. But so that's number one, Obama put that in there saying that a perpetrator, as long as they can demonstrate that they believed the child was at least 16 and the child was 12, you know, and portrayed themselves as 16, then, you know, that's a, that's a, an, you know, that can be proven to be fine. And the burden of proof to establish the guilt of the accused is upon the government. So, you know, that means that, you know, if there's a, issue of mental responsibility that's raised. You have to defend that. You know, this is ridiculous. And then multiple, when the accused is found guilty of two or more offenses, then the maximum authorized punishment may be imposed for each separate offense, unless the military judge finds that the offenses are either multiplicious or unreasonably multiplied. Um, and then he goes on to discuss that. So, then he uh, starts to discuss and, and change and amend this executive order of 1984 because it was originally done in 1984, right? That murder, the murder committed while the accused was engaged in the commission or attempted commission of any robbery, rape, rape of a child, sexual assault, sexual assault of a child, aggravated sexual conduct, sexual abuse of a child, aggravated arson, forcible sodomy, burglary, kidnapping, mutiny, sedition, or 
piracy of an aircraft or vessel. Why did he say that? Or while the accused was engaged in the commission or attempted commission of any offense involving the wrongful distribution, manufacture, or introduction or possession with the intent to distribute of a controlled substance. Or while the accused was engaged in flight or attempted flight after the commission of the attempted commission of such offense. And that, and that specific section was amended for, fo- for the following that to, to be able to use the article, you know, you for murder, right? It has to be, you know, the murder was committed while it was being done for that. So in, in the only case in the violation of the murder article, which I think is 118, um, the accused is the actual perpetrator of the killing or is the principal whose participation in the burglary, forcible rape, rape of a child, sexual assault, blah, 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 et cetera, right? Um, you know, uh, or aggravated arson was major and who manifested a reckless endangerment or indifference for human life. So, so the only time that you can be found guilty of murder um, while doing those acts of raping a child or whatever is if... Um, you know, you show that you have a reckless indifference for human life. So basically, if you rape a child and they die, you know, you didn't want them to die because, you know, you were just raping them. So you didn't mean to harm a life. So you can argue that. Like, legal terms are really, it's like gymnastics. And this one, you know, totally had me I was gobsmacked when I read it because I'm not a legal expert. I never claimed to, but rereading something a few times is, you know, a big deal. But they, but then he continues, Obama continues, this is Obama. This is how he changed it. He made it seem like it's soft. Okay. So he continued saying that in addition to the offense for which the accused is eligible of the death penalty, meaning murder, if they were accused, then the accused has also, and the accused has also been convicted of a sexual offense and the victim was under the age of 12. So if you're 12 or above, not a crime, right? So if you're between 12 and 17, according to the UCMJ, you're not, it's not a crime. Do you understand what he did there? Obviously, President Trump undid this, but do you understand what he did there? So if the child is under 12, you know, that's a problem. If it's over 12 and you can say that I thought they were 16, you get let off, basically. If you just say, well, I thought they were 16, you know, they were wearing makeup and they filled out their bra for little girls or, you know, boys, they look young anyway when they're 16. This is incredible. Like, you need to go into it like he even was very descriptive in saying that rape involving contact between penis and vulva or anus or mouth by unlawful force he went into detail of what is considered and by force okay this type of rape by force causing likely uh, uh, causing or likely to cause death you know all these things are committed crimes are, are considered crimes right but only if they're under the age of 12. Okay? I just want to reinforce that. Only if under 12. Like, President Obama just focused on that. So this is what he did with the executive order, which has to make you wonder, 
why would you amend that section where you're really descriptive? You see the word vulva, anus, mouth, and penis a few times through this. So he was very descriptive, very particular, um, you know, on how to do it, um, very particular on how someone can claim mental disease because, remember, pedophiles are now claiming that it's a mental disorder, that they like children. So if obviously you can prove that you're a pedophile and that you suffer from this disorder under these terms, you're not in trouble because this is something that you can prove. Um, and this is why they're trying to have us sympathize with them, that they can't help themselves and that they're pushing that. It's, it's really disgusting if you break it down thinking, no, it should be one line. You violate a child, you're done. That's the way the law should be. There is no, well, I thought they were 16, but, you know, but at least they're 12. So that makes a good argument that you thought they were 16. This is basically what President, former shameful legacy of poop, President Barack Hussein Obama did. He gave a scapegoat, two scapegoats, that if the child is at least 12, you can get away with it. And what else? If you're considered to have some mental disability or a psychological issue that causes you to commit murder or do, you know, rape a child, that's a defense as well. It's it's pretty lewd. Um, it even goes into detail um, that the accused committed sexual contact upon any other person by touching or causing another person to touch either directly or through the clothing. He's very particular. What, you know, grievous uh, bodily harm is, is very descriptive. And, you know, it looks like there was a lot of thought put into it. And considering all the executive orders that have been composed by Bob Bauer are pretty ironclad, you know, this is incredible. So I'm actually glad that President Trump changed these, kept some of the wording and these details but use the wording to his advantage by omitting and adding. And I'll demonstrate that, obviously, in the next half hour while I plow through this Obama one for you guys to just fathom this. Fathom where there – I mean, you can't make this up. This is, this is hundreds of pages just talking about sexual offenses and defining them and what the victim is and are they a valid victim or not or is consent an element – Or is lack of consent an element? And he said, um, lack of consent is not an element of any offense under this paragraph unless explicitly stated. Consent may be relevant for other purposes. What? I mean, if you read this yourself and you can find it at the Federal Register and just go through it, you know, you'll find, let me see how many instances of the word penis I find. Like, this is how descriptive it is. So... Wow. So there are 45 references to the word penis only in this. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. What's more disgusting is that this flew under the radar and no one reported it, right? How did no one report this? How did no one say, well, well, hold on a second. So you're saying if, you know, one of your buddies rapes a child that's 12 or just turned 12, that it's okay? That if they're 12 but haven't, you know, turned 16 but you thought they were 16, that's an arguable, you know, defense? 
You know, they even have a section that says rape by rendering unconscious a child who has attained the age of 12. This is how specific. How specific is that? This is incredibly insane. Because a lot of people have said, can we analyze the executive order about tribunals? Can we? This is literally a section. What I'm telling you is part of. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, this is what I'm trying to put out to you. How nefarious this is. Why would you be so specific? Shouldn't it be just child? We don't care how old the child is. 12 or 13 doesn't make it better. 16 doesn't make it better. Zero doesn't make it better. It's a child, period. That's the way it should be. You shouldn't have descriptive things like rendering it unconscious and was it unconscious and does that mean consent? Like they're really the the time of the sexual act, the child had not attained the age of 12 and the accused did so with an intent to abuse, humiliate, harass, degrade any person, to arouse or gratify the sexual desire of any person, rape by force of a child. Like these are all separate sections. These are insane. We have, you know, over 100 pages detailing sexual assault of a child and stipulations. This is, you know, how contracts and how laws are so deceptive because there's loopholes. And they even have specific clauses like sexual assault of a child who has attained the age of 12 involving penetration of vulva or anus or mouth or any part of the body and object. How insane is this? This is real stuff. This is stuff President Obama proudly put his signature on on September 16, 2016. So descriptive about genitalia, inner thighs, breasts, buttocks. So descriptive. How did this fly under the radar? How did nobody see this? Probably because they were like, oh, someone's going to say tinfoil hell. But how? It's in the federal register. How are we even discerning between the age of 12 and 11? It's, it's, it's just incredible. And this is what our president focused on changing those specific sections and annexes you'll see but he went into the more who can be held accountable because this one only focuses on those that can be held accountable in court martial that are serving right in some shape or form so he used that to his advantage to expand it i mean if you read this if you see it you You would say, how is this even written? Like, who wrote this out? Who thought of this? Who thought of sexual abuse of a child involving indecent communication? Where in that uh, personal jurors, you know, whoever did this at that location on that day, and it's labeled as 2000 and underscore, right? So obviously, none of those types of crimes happened in the 1990s, right? Commit a lewd act upon XYZ, a child who had not attained the age of 16. So here we go again, making it okay if you do these things to a 16-year-old. As long as they're over 12, you have an argument. They're under 12, you're in trouble. And here it's like slot in, you know, indecent language to with um, abuse, with intent to humiliate, harass, degrade, arouse, gratify the sexual desire of someone else. So basically that you use that child to sexually arouse someone else. This, This stuff is incredible. And don't get me wrong. 
it's also in the executive order that President Trump, but not this description. Um, and this is pretty much overruled. I mean, this is incredible stuff, guys. I urge you to just, um, you know, maybe I can tweet out the link for the federal register. So I'm at, at Tory says.com. I'll tweet that out for you guys. Um, so you can see, uh, this EO yourself, those that are listening, see this EO yourself, what Obama signed, how detailed, uh, he signed it. Uh, it's incredible. I will tweet that during the break. So going back to it. So like I said, in order for you to understand these tribunals, uh, this new executive order that was signed in March but is going into effect in January, you must understand what happened in September of 2016 when they already knew they were losing. He created an executive order. <laughs> Just so happens when Wiener's laptop was confiscated, right? And what is the alleged material that they found on Wiener's laptop? And all of you listening are like, the video, the so-called video, the one where that police officer from NYPD was like, I got sick to my stomach. Could it be that the child was 12 and they thought they were 16? I'm just saying, could it be that? Could it be they did it for Wiener? These are questions that we all have, but let's look at the timing. Because one thing we've realized, all of us, throughout our lives we see, it's all about timing. And what does the timing tell you when such a descriptive and very indicative, nefariously written executive order, this is a president of the United States putting those words on paper when it should be, Anytime you violate a child, it's a crime. Anytime. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they told you they look like. I don't care how you did it. I don't care if they took the drugs and said, do it to me. I don't care um, if you were just looking at them, do it themselves. It's just perverted. It's wrong. It's immoral. We are supposed to protect our children. This should not be happening. What kind of president would sit there and analyze situations where it may be arguable or be that specific? Think about it. I mean, just common sense. What makes that okay? This executive order he signed should be plastered everywhere. What kind of president is that? Describing of how the penetration should happen and if it's a crime this way and that way. We'll reconvene after the break. It's my gift to you right now, coming back and being on during Christmas to advise you of what huge changes we're going to be seeing with 2019 and what is really going on during this dark period. Remember, again, this is something President Barack Hussein Obama put into effect on September 16th, 2016, just when that Wiener laptop was confiscated, right? And talking about bestiality and analyzing 
what would be considered bestiality and the welfare of an animal, which only makes you wonder, why would anyone even think of that? I mean, come on, seriously. As a president, right, why would you even think of that to put it into martial law, I guess, because, you know, the UCMJ applies, you know, when we're under martial law. So, I mean, I would hate to think that we have soldiers or people that are fighting for us, you know, doing these things. I mean, they're only people and, you know, uh, people are never evil. We have the innate quality of being kind and loving and giving. But what would possess him to write over a hundred pages of detailed, uh, disgusting things and telling you what the punishment is if you violate an animal? It's incredible. And this is the same exact, our president actually and his made reference to that and elaborated and made things a little bit more clear. So where do we start, right? So we already started analyzing how Barack Hussein Obama, coincidentally during the time where they already knew that President Trump was going to win. They knew it because there were too many people coming out. I mean, you could see it. People were flocking no matter how they tried to fix the elections, which, by the way, in this executive order kind of makes reference to that, too, that President Trump put out. But think about it. They knew he was winning. They had already started the discussions, like I've talked about before, where Loretta Lynch and Clapper had headed up to the FISA judges and to Fisk Court and said, we need this. And they were being reprimanded for obtaining, you know, uh, recorded conversations, communications of uh, citizens that they had no warrants for. And then they went ahead and got warrants, too. And then they manufactured this dossier. They manufactured a separate dossier just for Flynn. I mean, they got it because of supposed his relations with Turkey, but then it expanded to to Russia. And who, by the way, making reference to my previous comment that I just said, keep in the back of your head, the only reason he actually got in trouble is because he lied to Vice President Pence. (laughs) Or omitted, let's say, or understated what he conversed. That's just a thought. So we have a year later as President Trump, so a year and a couple months later, in March of 2018, he issued an executive order, 13825. And it's one of the most historic and significant changes to the UCMJ since its manifestation in 1950. It included uh, combining several punitive articles and adding new ones, uh, new stream streamlined, like I said, streamlined, child, period. That's it. I don't care what age it is. It's a child, period. Streamlining, right? Making it more concise. So they're easier to use and you can combine related offenses. Like in the end, it literally says, here's the offense you're being charged. Here's the list of other offenses that are tacked onto it as subcategories. So law enforcement in general... Um, should be aware uh, that, uh, you know, some of the offense numbers that they already use um, are not the same. So, you know, general coding in regards to these crimes have been changed, like what was um, considered, uh, for example, um, quarantines, right? Uh, it was, uh, you know, article, let me look it up. 
It's Article 134.42, which is quarantine medical breaking, is now Article 84, breach of medical quarantine. So the former Article 84 is effective unlawful enlistment appointment or separation is now Article 104 is fraudulent enlistment appointment or separation. What? Just listen to those words. Effective unlawful enlistment appointment or separation or fraudulent enlistment appointment or separation. Huh. So unlawful enlistment, meaning that it wasn't legal that you enlisted, meaning you were an illegal person and enlisted. I don't know. Unlawfully separated. So were you reprimanded and, you know, taken out of duty because you did something right in the unlawfully? Or is it fraudulent now? Now it's called fraudulent enlistment, appointment, appointment, or separation. Those are key things that, um, you know, are just a few of the things that uh, have changed and not just for our military uh, police, I would say, in regards to their, but in general. So this is more, you know, military policing, right? This is our military laws. So let's go to discussing exactly what the changes here are. And I've... um, And I think uh, I will keep it as simple as possible because, you know, this is legalese. (laughs) It's it's not very easy. It's super gymnastics. But um, he's changed sections one about, uh, you know, Annex 1. He added Annex, the amendments to Annex 1, which is what Obama did, uh, are to take effect on the date of this order subject to following. Nothing in Annex 1 should be construed to make punishable any act done or omitted prior to the date So, you know, when it is in effect, actually specifically in this one, he says that acts after 2014, and I'll get into that. Um, So let me just go to the sauce, like where it's really important. So number one, the amendments to articles 256. um, Okay, so let's start with that. So one thing is it says that If the accused is found guilty of a specification alleging the commission of one or more offenses before January 1st, 2019, Article 60 of the UCMJ, as in effect on the date of the earliest offense of which the accused was found guilty, shall apply to the convening authority in addition to the suspending authority in Article 60AC as enacted. So it requires – so basically – you can retroactively go back to things is what that is trying to tell us. Hold on. Let's get to the real sauce. Okay. So. Okay. So the accused can never waive. Okay. Let's start with protective and modifying orders. So he changed a specific section which talks about protective and and uh, protective and modifying orders and originally it read that subject to limitations in part three of this manual if any rule requires this is what he inserted before it wasn't there or upon motion by a party the military judge may and it was permit but now it says may review any materials in camera and permit the party to make such showing in whole or in part in writing to be inspected only by the military judge in camera. If the military judge 
reviews any materials in camera, the entirety of any materials examined by the military judge shall be attached to the record of trial as an appellate exhibit. So here's what he changed. It said here that if the military judge grants relief after such an ex parte showing, the entire text of the party's statement is sealed. That's what it used to say. Now it says if he reviews such materials, the entirety of all these materials that he examined are to be attached to the record of trial, not sealed as an exhibit. Because what they had before is to be sealed and attached to the record of trial as an appellate. So it would be sealed. An- another sentence inserted into the section is that the military judge said seal- shall seal any materials examined in camera and not disclosed and may not seal other materials as appropriate. This is a big deal. First of all, it allows for tramp transparency, right? That's number one. Second, the fact that the judge is sealing materials that he sees in camera, meaning only himself, right? Um, he does not disclose them and seals other materials that are disclosed to him in private, which means he's in charge. We're talking about a one judge panel. He makes it kind of like the fist court. Remember how, you know, judge Collier only gets the government side of things. She examines it and issues, right? It's kind of like this. This is a war judge. Okay. This is a war judge. That's how it's done. Hold on. Let's get to the really juicy part. Because he's actually put words. So before it said general courts martial as the heading for a specific section. And now it says general and special courts martial, right? This includes civilians. And it says so. It says in general, the record trial in each general and special court martial shall be separate, complete, and independent of any other document. So each charge, each case will be separated which is incredible because that that that's obviously more work, but allows for you for a more thorough um, trial against the perpetrators. It's actually in favor of the victims. Let's go. So he crossed out um, special courts martial. There was a section that was inserted called special courts martial, and he crossed this whole thing out, which says involving a bad conduct discharge, confinement for more than, you know, pay, restriction, um, applying special court martial, bad conduct discharge. He totally crossed that out. That's gone. There's no such thing. It all goes to military tribunal. Hold on. I'm just going down through the whole thing so that way, as I promised, I will go through what is important. Another thing is that he stopped calling it calling it the MCM and he calls it this manual, which means that whatever the MCM uh, refers is no longer valid. That's a big deal. That's a that's a that's a legal trick when you um, get rid of something. Convening authority again. He said. He crossed out, um, you know, the manual for courts martial, the MCM, right? He crossed it out and said, this manual, this manual, UCMJ, this manual. Um, that's a big deal because the courts martial one has like other amendments. But here's one thing that he crossed out, which is incredible. It says he crossed, he got rid of the part that says in those cases in which review is sought or pending before the United States Supreme Court, 
authorization to disclose sealed materials or information shall be obtained under that court's rules of practice and procedure. That's no longer allowed. Just previous to that, it says prior authorization of the appellate court before which a case pending review under rules for court martial 1203. So the Supreme Court um, does not override uh, the rules of court martial. Just in case, you know, we have Chief Justice Roberts still up there. We don't want him pulling any tricks, right? So the authorizing officials, so authorizing officials are the people that can prosecute, arrest, detain, right? It says that the authorizing officials above, um, which is in paragraph B, and he then further elaborates, President Trump elaborated later, may place conditions on authorized disclosures in order to minimize the disclosure. So basically, the person that makes the arrest, that makes the case, that tidies up the case, that's appointed you know, to, to work on the case, can selectively themselves say, what can be seen and what cannot be seen in, you know, in order to maintain that secrecy, which is just a bunch of BS if you ask me. It's a way to cover information up. We've seen that before. I mean, look how long it's been taking with Uranium One, right? It also says that officers and attorney in the office of the Judge Advocate General reviewing records pursuant to the rule of courts martial 1201 and 1210 – before, it used to be the Appellate Government Council and the Appellate Defense Council. Those are crossed out completely. It's appellate judges of the Courts of Criminal Appeals and their professional staffs only. The judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces and their professional staff. And the justices of the United States Supreme Court and their professional staff. And any other court of competent jurisdiction. So he crossed out Appellate Government Council. So we're not going to be seeing Perkins Coy in there, right? And appellate defense counsel. Again, no more Perkins Coy. So anyway, he added, though, notwithstanding any other provision of this rule, in those cases in which the United States Supreme Court review is sought or that are pending before the United States Supreme Court, authorization to disclose sealed materials or information shall be obtained under that court's rules of practice and procedure. So aside from any of the rules that were set forward of what, who is more, which, which court has the final say, there are cases where this United States Supreme Court review is requested. So it's kind of like an opinion that are pending, um, to authorize, you know, like there's an opinion. It's kind of like you're asking for an opinion and you come back and it's pending there. So there's where there may be an authorization to disclose seal materials if it's pending on their end too. And that should be only obtained through that court's practices. So that's, that's pretty significant too. Because it says you don't have any right to any sealed materials, but if you are already trying it or, you know, someone's appealed to you and you're working on this case, you can come to us with your recommendation and your opinion on that case. And we can see under your rules if they apply to actually obtain the evidence we have, you know, in these tribunals. Excellent. But here's where we mean minimize leaking. Examination of sealed materials, it goes on to say, for this rule, examination includes reading, inspecting, and viewing, period. Before it read, 
reading, inspecting, and viewing, photocopying, photographing, disclosing, or manipulating the sealed matters in any way. So you were allowed at that point to photocopy, take pictures of, disclose, you know, information of sealed materials. Back then it's called examining of sealed matters. So that was changed to materials. Anything that is material, anything that is a statement, those are sealed and you can only read it, inspect it, and view it. You cannot, you know, reproduce it. You can't, you know, take pictures, photocopy it. You can't redisclose it and you can't manipulate um those materials. So that was crossed out because apparently with a previous law, you can photocopy it, redistribute and manipulate the matters. Here we go back to that word matters, right? So then he added, President Trump added a new section, section um, six on this, which is disclosure of sealed materials. For purposes of this rule, disclosure includes disclosure. So he defined what disclosing something that is sealed means. This is important. Because disclosure, um, you know, would be obviously telling someone about something, right? Or showing them, you know, leaking. Kind of like what Comey did when he, when he showed his memo to his friend, who his friend then went to the New York Times with, right? That's disclosure. So disclosure has been defined here. So there's no ifs, ands, or but, oh, I didn't know that I was disclosing, you know? Well, here's disclosure. Um, for purposes of this rule, it includes photocopying, photographing, disseminating, releasing, manipulating, or communicating the contents of sealed materials in any way. Kind of like how Comey did to his friend, who then took it to the New York Times, right? That was disclosure. And it's been explained, so there's no question of what he's talking about. Another thing is, is that closed, he omitted closed proceedings for the purpose of reviewing the determination of the military judge. That is not happening. So when there are proceedings for the purpose of reviewing um Who's going to be the military judge? They're not closed. That's a big deal because you can't pick. It's got to be transparent, and that sounds pretty good to me, um, which is which is very important in this um, area. Now, going back to what President Trump changed and added, uh, and it is part of what Barack Hussein Obama did, he spoke to defined elements. It's paragraph 45C, article 120C, other sexual misconduct subsections B through F are amended to read as follows. Elements, so one is indecent viewing, that you know the person that's being accused knew um, that he was wrongfully viewing the private area of a person. Can you see the difference in the language private area, Right? That the said viewing was without the other person's consent. That the said viewing took place under circumstances in which the other person had reasonable expectation of privacy. So I guess the peeping Tom thing or um, recording people, their private areas. Um, you know, this. look at the language, the difference. Indecent recording that the accused knowingly recorded or photographed, videotaped, filmed, or recorded by any means the private area of another person. Private area. Didn't involve penis, vulva, private area. Broadcasting of indecent recordings. So, you know, making that porn tape and selling it around. He changed wording here where it says that said recording was made or broadcast. He crossed out the broadcast. It's just made without the person's content, consent. So 
The first part says, knowingly broadcast certain recording of another person's private area, but that the recording was made without the person's consent, and that the accused knew or should have known that the recording was made without the person's consent. So just because you broadcast it, made or broadcast, he's saying if the person knew, uh, you know, if you knew that you shouldn't have been recording or if you knew that you didn't have the other person's consent, you shouldn't have made the video. Uh, so broadcasting it comes in afterwards where they should have known that that was made under circumstances and held responsible. Distribution of indecent recording, forcible pandering. We've got loads of these here. Indecent recording, forcible pandering, confinement, talking penalties, and here's where they, in indecent exposure, it's more analyzed where you can actually insert what private area it is. Now, before this break and uh, opening up the phone lines, I just wanted to say that exercise, the, section one of this, the preamble has been changed. And exercise of military jurisdiction is a government in the exercise of that branch of municipal law, which regulates its military establishment, which is military law, a government temporarily governing the civil population within its territory or a portion of its territory through its military forces as necessary may require martial law. A belligerent occupying enemy territory, military government, a government with respect to offenses against the law of war. Now it, goes on to say that persons of the that fall under the law of war are subject to trial by military tribunals. So law of war is what we will be talking about in the second half because that is key and this is where everyone is drawing military tribunals, military tribunals because you have to define who falls under the law of war. Sedition Selling, you know, natural resources, you know, uranium one without, you know, and profiting off your state, your country uh, for yourself. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, colluding with other governments. Hello, going to the United Kingdom and obtaining false information in order to uh, portray in a fraudulent way that the president elect had tried to undermine our democracy. Ring any bells? The fact that they're trying to undermine our national security with maintaining open borders or aiding and abetting illegal immigrants. Remember when President Trump was running, we had 1,500 illegal immigrants that had been put in line to be deported, suddenly all got passports and social security cards. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, that happened. That's illegal. How does that even happen and no one bats an eyelash? And how come they didn't take it away? Oh, they came out and said, ooh, we did that by mistake. We didn't mean it. Well, then take it back. What do you mean you didn't mean it? Take it back. Mm, too late. What do you mean too late? You know their social security numbers. Gave them ID. Anyway, after the break, we'll open up the phone lines and we'll continue on the law of war. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. 
concern to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck, drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you, and you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194. Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back. I'm turning on the phone lines as we speak. And while I get that sorted, I wanted you guys to remember something that I made note of uh, last week. Welcome back. Have a great show. So here it is. Remember that conversation that I told you about Lindsey Graham, who I do not like, who I know is deep state with the Kavanaugh hearing? Do you remember that? Well, here we go. Graham asks, here's a transcript. So when somebody says post 9-11 that we'd be – we'd been at war and it's called the war on terrorism, do you generally agree with that concept? Kavanaugh says, I do, Senator, because Congress passed the authorization for use of military force, which is still in effect. That was passed, of course, in September 14, 2001, three days later. 
So Lindsey Graham says, let's talk about the law in war. Is there a body of law called the law of armed conflict? Kavanaugh says, yes, there is such a body, Senator. A body of law that's called basic criminal law? Yes, Senator. Are there differences between those two bodies of law? Yes, Senator. From an American citizen's point of view, do your constitutional rights follow you? If you're in Paris, does the Fourth Amendment protect you as an American from your own government? From your own government? Yes. So if you're in Afghanistan, do your constitutional rights protect you against your own government? If you're an American in Afghanistan, you have constitutional rights as against the U.S. government. Hmm. Isn't there a long-settled law that goes back to the Eisentrager case? I can't remember the name of Johnson versus Eisentrager, says Kavanaugh. Right. That American citizens who collaborate with the enemy are considered enemy combatants? Kavanaugh responds saying they can be. They're often sometimes criminally prosecuted, sometimes treated in the military. Let's talk about can be. I think there's a Supreme Court decision that said that American citizens who collaborated with Nazi saboteurs were tried by the military. Is that correct? That is correct. I think a couple of them were executed. Yeah, so if anyone doubts that there's a long-standing history in the country, in this country, that your constitutional rights follow you wherever you go, but you don't have a constitutional right to turn on your own government and collaborate with the enemy of the nation, you'll be treated differently. What's the name of the case, if you can recall, that reaffirmed the concept that if you hold one of your own as an enemy combatant, if they were engaged in, a t- in terrorist activities in Afghanistan, are you familiar with that case? Yes, it's Hamdi versus Rumsfeld. Mm. So the bottom line is, on every American citizen, they should know you have constitutional rights. But you do not have a constitutional right to collaborate with the enemy. There is a body of law well developed long before 9-11 that understood the difference between basic criminal law and the law of armed conflict, the law of war. Do you understand those differences? Kavanaugh said, I do understand that there are different bodies of, of law. Of course, Senator. So this is the conversation they had, and further to that, Lindsey Graham went on to ask him if he believes that military tribunals should occur to U.S. citizens, and he said yes in that essence. This is pretty huge, guys. You have to admit, that is pretty huge. Because if we break it down on a timeline of what's been going on, what has been happening, how coincidentally things are manifesting and occurring in EOs or being executed at certain times of the year or coinciding with certain events, you have to think about it. And the question here is, if our, and this is my question, and you know, if anyone listening may have the answer, but I'm thinking, all right, so we already know that the United Kingdom assisted uh, the intelligence community and the Obama administration with collation of this uh, infamous dossier that has now been proven to be unsubstantiated and fictional. 
So they use their highest powers, which is their intelligence agency. They're supposed to be our ally. In cases that they colluded with people that worked for our country, that were part of our government, so they were American citizens colluding with an ally to undermine our democracy and our rights as citizens, would that in turn mean that they committed a crime against us and can be tried under military tribunals? That's a question. I mean, think about it. Okay, and I should just say that the number is 215-TOP-TALK, and that's 215-867-8255 if you'd like to call in. So that's a question. We have these people that work for us that colluded with foreign governments, regardless if they're classified as allies or partners or enemies. Because, to be honest, we don't really have a list that says this is an enemy of the state. They're just partners or indifferent. We do have enemies. I guess it would be North Korea, right? Cuba. But I'm just saying, if the actions of the United Kingdom were such that they colluded with people of the government, to undermine our democracy, to undermine the rights of every single American, 300 million Americans that they collude, would that not be considered a crime under the law of war? Just saying. So let's think. In December of 2017, there was an executive order that uh, the president issued which declared us to be in a national state of emergency. And that executive order was specifically blocking the property of persons involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption. That was done on December 22nd, 2017. In this, he declared a national emergency. He stated, I... Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, find that the prevalence and severity of human rights abuse and corruption that have their source in whole or in substantial part outside of the United States, such as those committed or directed by person listed in the annex of this order, have reached such scope and gravity that they threaten the stability of international political and economic systems. Human rights abuse and corruption undermine the values that form an essential foundation of stable, secure, and functioning societies, have devastating impacts on individuals, weaken democratic institutions, degrade the rule of law, and perpetuate violent conflicts, facilitate activities of dangerous persons, and undermine economic markets. The United States seeks to impose tangible and significant consequences on those who commit serious human rights abuse or engage in corruption, as well as to protect the financial system of the United States from abuse by these same persons. That was his statement when he wrote that. Human rights abuse, your human rights, corruption. You know, it's it's incredible because, you know, For some reason, I mean, you know, we see a lot of this talk about child trafficking. You know, we saw that at the border, you know, Jeff Sessions imposed DNA testing, which was contested 
by the left, incredibly, because I would like to know if this man and woman that turn up with six kids are really related to these six kids since they have no identifying information. It seems that the weakness of this mafia, this deep state, has a little fetish with children, pedophilia. Just saying. This is just a going theme. Doesn't mean it's established per se. But this is my opinion. Doesn't mean it's correct. In no fashion or form am I imposing you uh, upon you my opinions. I just want you to think about it. Think about that executive order that Obama thoroughly wrote out in detail. Who claimed that if a child is 12 but portrays themselves as 16, uh, you know, it's kind of questionable. And 16 is a child. I mean, I was a child even in my 20s. But just think about it for a second. And he talked about corruption. Because you know what corruption does? And corruption isn't only about child trafficking. But let's talk about that for a second. I'm in a state where the size of this state is larger than the country of Greece, for sure, in square footage. It's one of the least populated states, too. We only have like 700,000 residents, and it's massive. And we have the largest problem with human and child trafficking there is, and drugs. And the thing is, they grab one or two. It feels like the whole MENA thing all over again. It's as if the government within this state or throughout the United States decides to distribute drugs, create these pockets of low-level thugs that resell it, that are usually addicts, arrest them, and say, oh, we're dealing with the problem. And you know what's funny? It, it feels like they, they always arrest people that are bringing stuff in from not their territory because most of the arrests within the state of North Dakota are people bringing stuff from other states, stuff like marijuana, who nobody cares about. Never seen anyone die from marijuana, no ODs from it, but hey, whereas meth run rapid, right? Children are missing every day, and you know which children are missing? The ones that we silence, the ones from the reservations, those are the women and children missing in this state, the forgotten people of this land, the people that ask for a voice and are silenced immediately. Those are the people you don't hear about. And that leads to the corruption that, that, that is because of the corruption that's in power. You have... People so corrupt. I was made aware, just so you see where corruption goes. So we all pay taxes, right? Death and taxes inevitable, right? Well, there's this person that supposedly has an, an airplane and they owe taxes on it. So the, you know, aviation commission, whatever, called their chit. Hey, you need to pay taxes for your, for your aircraft. And that person reaches out to this, you know, tax commission. Hey, I'm, I don't want to pay this or I don't want to. And then, um, Tax commissioner is like, you don't know he's not going to pay. And so the aviation commission's like, well, hold on a second. What do you mean uh, he's not going to pay? Well, I'm the tax commissioner. He doesn't have to pay this tax. And it's like, but everybody else is paying it. This is, this is corruption. This is like legit stuff. I, I have all the documentation on that. And here's the thing. That agency went to who? The highest office in the land and said, hey, can you give me your opinion on this? Because I'm kind of finding it difficult to understand how – 
tax commission says they don't have to, law says they have to, and since you're the attorney general of the state, maybe you want to chime in. And the chime in that they get from the attorney general is like, can you retract your request for my opinion? It's like, what? That's corruption. Those are the people we have to hold accountable. The people that abuse the law, as he said. The people that perpetuate these conflicts. The people that are dangerous to us. They, they threaten the stability of our nation. Our, our ability to be stable, secure, and functioning. I mean, you can't have people that are above the law just because they say so. That's not the way it works. That, in turn, grows and creates and perpetuates instability. So President Trump began 2018, right before Christmas again, right, where he declared a state of national emergency outlining corruption and human violations and pretty much describing child trafficking. And then three months after that, he puts in an executive order to amend the manual for courts marshals, right, and throughout this whole huge document, it's like over 630 pages long, you know, he prepares it in such a way that people are thinking and reminding themselves of trials from, you know, Nuremberg style, right? So basically these orders were created that all U.S. civilians are subject to military justice. And that the military will be able to hire non-military experts to help with upcoming tribunals. His changes, his omissions that he put in there were specifically that. That now this law can expand over U.S. citizens. And not only that, that the actual military courts can hire counsel that are not, you know, JAG, that are civilians, that are experts in specific areas. It's pretty incredible because that indicates that we have something upcoming. So first, national state of emergency. Second, we expand the law of martial, of, of court martial over U.S. citizens, allowing for specialty attorneys to come in and prosecute and assist. But if you look at, at the, at the second annex where it describes, um, military jurisdiction, it literally says a government temporarily governing the civil population within its territory or a portion of its territory through its military forces. And as necessity may require, he stated martial law specific. I read it out to you before. Martial law, martial law. So when Trump signed this executive order to amend the court martial manual, right? To get um, civilians to chime in and provide guidance and help. I think it's more to help us to understand Because we're taking this mafia down. And we're going to reconcile everything. So, you know, basically, mass murdering people in other nations, colluding to undermine people's democracy, fixing elections, stealing our money, stealing our uranium, profiting off of us. 
allowing them to undermine our country by allowing illegal immigrants to vote and promoting that will not be okay with just, oh, sorry, you're just a little bit butthurt about it. This, you know, these tribunals that are to come are very important. And here's how you know it escalates. Like I said, December 2017, right before 2018 comes in, national state of emergency. March, he pumps out this executive order, this executive order that allows for U.S. citizens to be tried in court martials and to obtain outside legal counsel. But then we move on to September, something people missed. And that's the Presidential Proclamation National Emergency Preparedness Month and FEMA FCC Cell Emergency Test. So if you actually look into his proclamation, it's actually quite brief. So let me pull it up for you. It says, his proclamation says that National Preparedness Month is a time to focus our attention on the importance of preparing our families, homes, businesses, and communities for disasters that threaten our lives, property, and homeland. During this time, uh, we, I have a caller, so let me just finish this thought. Um, We can see that um, it says, during this time, we also honor the brave men and women who selflessly respond to crises and disasters, rendering aid to those in need. So he says, now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, president of the United States of America, by virtue of authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the United States, I hereby proclaim September 18th as National Preparedness Month. So this is the next step. He moved on to do this. And this month, he said he encouraged Americans to take the opportunity that they have an emergency response plan in place and ready to be properly executed because emergencies and disasters test the resilience and strength of families, communities, and our nation. So he's telling us, what have you done to be ready? And then the final hit is connecting the dots that I've been doing, which is financial resetting and resetting our laws and applying them correctly. So that's what we're seeing. And we have Scott Adams on the line from the Big Apple. Hey, Scott. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Tori. Merry Christmas. It's so great you're doing a show on Christmas. I know. How could I not? If I was traveling, it would be different. But this is giving me a break from the kitchen and getting things done and uh, I, you know, there's a lot of people that are questioning this executive order and what it means, but I thought what was important was to showcase the amendments that were created, that were done on this executive order by Obama in September of 2016, so they can understand right. the differences between these amendments and the language used and the purpose. So, and how President Trump doesn't do anything by chance. Because if anyone's really paying attention, I, I love the connection that you made also with uh, 1913, Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. the gold standard, mm-hmm. all of those things that you were talking about as well. You know, those those issues are really big. Trump is is remarkable, and I, I really think he's going to be dropping some really big news between now and the first of the year. 
Well, I can tell you one thing, that in December of 2017, before President Trump, and this is personal knowledge, and those that know me know what I'm talking about, he was made aware of a very sinister and corrupt plot for something. And, you know, the news even reported that he had nothing scheduled on the 21st and 22nd. Uh, But I can tell you now that there was something scheduled that nobody knew about that was canceled 15 days earlier, which I won't repeat. And it just so happened on the day that he was supposed to attend that um, event, he dropped that executive order in regards to, uh, you know, Uh, declaring a national emergency of corruption and human rights violations. Uh, So, you Mm -hmm. know, he's giving us the clues. We're just not paying attention. He said that we're in a national state of emergency. Then he drops an executive order um, expanding, you know, martial law to, you know, expanding um, court martial to U.S. citizens, especially under times of martial law, right? Not just those that can be trialed under the law of war. But during that month where he did that, he also was discussing how important it is that small businesses start looking locally, how we source locally. You know, that was the message. Remember he was bringing in tons of governors, Mm -hmm. tons of small businesses. And then, you know, this drop of this bill to, you know, define the dollar as weight in gold, and then tell yeah. us, be prepared just in case, have some extra water, check your, you know, check yourselves. And if he's saying it in September 2018, I'm pretty much assuming that we're going to see a lot of stuff happen in 2019. So, oh, no doubt. you know, putting all these, he's incredible, isn't he, Scott? He absolutely is. We are so lucky that we got such a... Uh, a leader as him, you know, we're, we're lucky. He came at the right time. We were so close to losing our republic. And uh, I think people who listen to Red State talk radio know, you know, how close we were. But a lot of people in, that listen to mainstream don't don't understand how close we were to losing everything. Well, they're totally and ending not. up like France right now. Right. Look at them. They're all on fire. They even had um, what is it? Uh, a minimized martial law throughout a specific area in Paris. And one of my best friends lives in Paris, and she tells me it's insane. And their complaints are not so much the taxes. See, this is what they're perpetuating. They -hmm. keep saying it's about the taxes, and it's not so much the taxes. Taxes are a problem. But the problems are the laws that are changing. The fact that, you know, children have no rights anymore. You know, this is circling back to Obama's executive order, you know, on the um, manual for court-martial. I mean, the descriptive right. language, and I tweeted it out for anyone, and I put it on Gab. If you see it, be like, what kind of person even thinks of such detail? I mean, you know, I would well, think. Well, he's invested heavily in Getmo, Guantanamo Bay. You, you know, he's he's put he's spent a lot of money, a lot of allocated a lot of tax dollars to Guantanamo Bay, and he doesn't spend money without a reason. Yeah, he is frugal, and we know that, and he likes to do things. Yeah, and President Trump is shown as a businessman. He's frugal, and he wants everything done yesterday. The minute he has an idea, he wants it done yesterday, but for a lesser price. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what's um, what's going on. So tomorrow, are you going to be on, Scott, in the morning at 8? We're going to try to be. Uh, We're actually traveling to uh, Philadelphia um, so we may not be able to make it. Not sure yet uh, how that's going to play out. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Tomorrow's a work day, actually. But we're going to be meeting up with the radio station in Philadelphia to uh, do a little partnership with Red State Talk Radio and expand our reach. Awesome. And tomorrow but, uh, I'll, I'll have Laura Loomer on with me tomorrow. Um, that's it, awesome. She's yeah, so great. It is. And, and um, since the hour went already, geez, oh, we wish you a yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone, from Red State. Merry Be happy Christmas. and healthy. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful evening. Thank you for calling in, Scott. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Tori. Thanks. See Bye. you next time. See you next Bye-bye. time. Bye-bye.